good. How you doing, Chad? Hey, Johnny. Cool, man. What's going on? We ready to go or what? Uh, this is Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. This is Scotty Riggs, and you're listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling. Hey, man. What's up, guys? This is Homicide. Oh, that's my homie. Homicide with a big homie club. Yeah, that would be it. Hey, this is David Penzer, and this is the two-man power trip of wrestling. Well, thank you. Thank you. Hear me. Fear me. What's going on, guys? This is a 7-foot, 330-pound DNA of TNA. That's right. My DNA is outer space. And you're listening to the two-man power trip of professional wrestling. You know, I, I don't do many wrestling shows anymore, probably because I'm a bit ignorant. You guys probably know 10 times more than I do. Great talking to you guys. It's been your pleasure. <laughs> They've worked in and around the wrestling business. They've studied thousands of hours of wrestling, and now they bring to you the greatest legends, Hall of Famers, creative minds, and both current and future stars of pro wrestling. They are Primetime Pod and Chad, the two-man power trip of wrestling. This is the two-man power trip of wrestling brought to you today and powered by Meowbox. Meowbox is a cat subscription box service full of surprises and delivered to your door every single month. And be sure to stay tuned a little bit later on in the show as we have a special promotion just for the listeners of the two-man power trip of wrestling courtesy of Meowbox and Meowbox.com. And with that being said, my name is Chad and as always I'm joined by my tag team partner, Prime time john pause and john today our guest is a man who knows tag teams very well he's former wcw and wwe superstar chuck palumbo but now chuck palumbo is embarking in a whole new world as part of the discovery channel reality show rusted development which airs every monday night at 10 p.m eastern and man, did Chuck Palumbo have a hell of a wrestling career. But you know what? One of the cool things about Chuck is the fact that since he's left professional wrestling, I guess you could say he's had one of the most unique post-wrestling careers that anybody's had. But, uh, John, what's your take on Chuck and what he's done with himself since he left professional wrestling a few years back? You know what? It's so unique with uh, Chuck in his post-wrestling career. I mean, obviously we're going to get into his wrestling career as well, but what is so unique is that he's a customizer of motorcycles he's doing a you know a lot of stuff working with his hands working on cars working on motorcycles and of course his reality excuse me reality show rusted development on the discovery channel so a very unique post wrestling career but you know what it actually fits in perfectly because that's his true love and that's his passion besides the wrestling business and it was great to get to talk to him about not only the wrestling business but what he's doing today with his reality show and with fixing the motorcycles and get to get a couple uh, in-depth thoughts on some of the you know the uh, the things he's working on a great story about his dad a great story about one of the you know his uh, quote-unquote rescues with uh, one of the cars so it's just absolutely great uh, to be able to see what he's doing outside of the wrestling business and what he's doing post-career. And it's great to see, you know, how much he's actually succeeding without the wrestling business. And that's always a good thing to see. 
Oh yeah. It's never a bad thing when you can go on to have success outside of an industry, you know, that you weren't fully, uh, fully all in on, uh, at the start of your career. And Chuck did have a really cool wrestling career prior to, uh, actually getting to WCW. And as we get into his wrestling career now, you know, we all know you were a big WCW fan. You've said it on countless occasions to some of our guests. And of course, you know, in some of these little monologues that we do, but, uh, what are your thoughts on the natural born thrillers where Chuck Palumbo got his start? You know, the potential that the thrillers had was definitely off the charts and Palumbo's role in the group was definitely one that was, uh, you know, one of the breakout stars of the crew it was a hell of a unique collection of guys and uh, we're going to keep using that word unique a lot when it comes to uh, the opportunities that Palumbo's had. But what do you, what's your take on the thrillers? Yes, no doubt about it. I think everybody should know by now that I'm um, a huge, huge WCW fan. And um, Chuck actually agreed with what I was saying and that WCW at its best was the best. There's nothing beating WCW at its best with you know the NWO and all the great cruiserweights and all the great workers they had and Hogan turning heel and Crow Sting and everything else was just great booking, great everything else and and you know it's just one man's opinion. But WCW at its best, nothing could beat it. And uh, hey, got Chuck Palumbo to agree with me on that one. So that is a plus on uh, you know a plus for me. But you know my thoughts on. Um, the natural born thrillers is that they had infinite amount of potential. I mean, just look at the group. You had Chuck Palumbo and Sean O'Hare, who were probably the two standouts, and maybe Jindrak, uh, Mark Jindrak as well. Um, basically, the you know the big big time standouts from the group, and they came around just at a time where it was perfect because you're losing all those younger guys like. You lost Benoit, you lost Jericho, you lost the Big Show, you lost um, Eddie and Dean and Perry Saturn, and you keep losing these young guys that could have been the backbone of WCW. And I mean, essentially, they were the backbone of WCW, but they could have really, really been WCW at its core, and you lost all them to the WWE at the time. And you need something. You can't just keep putting these old guys out there and have the, all these old guys dominating and just running roughshod because that's kind of what, uh, you know, lost the rating war, you know, to begin with because WB was changing, getting younger, getting fresher, getting hipper, if you will. I mean, they were changing with the times. WWE is still staying kind of old. I mean, obviously, you can still use the Hogan's, the Pipers, and the Flares, but you got to use them smartly and you got to use them wisely and you got to put. You know, your backbone of talent, guys that are going to be working every Monday Nitro, every pay-per-view, every Thunder, every house show, and that'll be the young guys. And I feel like the Natural Born Thrillers were those young guys. I mean, they came up through the power plant. They were all, you know, unique and special and all had an infinite amount of potential, especially O'Hare, Jindrak, and then, of course, Chuck Palumbo. So I just thought that his role in the group was kind of like um, – him and O'Hare, I think, were the two breakouts, and they were going to become, you know, the the two big stars because eventually, obviously, they go on to win the tag titles, and you know, we're kind of uh, feuding with the insiders, who was DDP and Kevin Nash at the time. So I really felt that he was the, you know, Chuck and O'Hare were the two top guys that would have came out of the uh, Natural Born Thrillers, and I feel like you know the, that fresh talent. At that point, they were it, and the thrillers were just perfect timing for WCW. It was just a shame that everything was headed uh, in the wrong direction, and then obviously, you know, the fall of WCW, only to be purchased by Vince McMahon and the WWF. 
Yeah, the veterans leaving at that point, and he references Dean Malenko as being one of them, but when a couple of those guys who were getting the push in WCW left and it opened the door for the Thrillers, it really made it easy for a guy like Palumbo and O'Hare and Jindrak and Sanders to kind of get that main spotlight and really jump into the forefront. But we want to talk about, with Chuck, and we do actually, you know, when the WCW purchase by Vince McMahon and the WWE came down and what happened, because you can get as many takes as you want from any guy that was under contract to both sides of the coin, whether it's the WCW guys, whether it's the WWF guys, hell, you could even throw a couple of the ECW guys in because that changed the business so much in that spring into summer of 2001. And Chuck Palumbo played a large role in the invasion initially. And actually the first few months in really, you know, had some pretty good feuds going him and uh, O'Hare versus the undertaker and Kane traded the tag belts for a little bit. Uh, Then he was kind of slowly phased out of the Alliance and he started teaming with Billy Gunn, which at the time, you know, Billy Gunn was a steadfast WWE veteran. He was always there. He was, kind of shuffled around at that point in 2001 between a couple different partners, uh, most notably Shoguns with the big show right before the actual uh, invasion happened. And Billy and Chuck came together and made what a, you know, crazy, unpredictable duo that they started just going from going as uh, tandem, uh, tight wearing teams to, they started to kind of cross the line a little bit and they started to push the envelope and you started to think there's something about these two guys that, you know, for that point in 2001 wasn't really very kosher in terms of uh, the television landscape and especially the professional wrestling television landscape. But why don't you talk about how, you know, that angle, that Billy and Chuck angle in 2001 into 2002, you know, the fact that Chuck kind of revealed to us that, you know, the, uh, the biggest run he ever had was with Billy Gunn and the fact that that angle was really the concept of Vince McMahon from start to finish, how they began it as where they kind of evolved it to. And that commitment ceremony, which now looking back is so infamous and so crazy that, uh, you know, that was really the biggest run Chuck had while with the WWE. Really, really funny when we talk to Chuck about it, because it's so strange when you really think about it, he says, and we, you know, obviously we agree his biggest run and he never, ever saw it coming was with Billy and Chuck the you know infamous ambiguously gay duo doing all the hilarious stuff that they were doing it was him and billy gunn and and billy obviously was the veteran of the group so billy's you know helping him along help uh, mentor him you know as best he could and they were a hell of a tag team and for a while they were the hottest thing in WWE. it was funny because you know they had some other things going on but you always were interested with Billy and Chuck because it was exactly like, you know, the ambiguously gay duo doing funny stuff. Are these guys gay? What's going on? So it was just so funny, but in a, in a, in a weird way, it, it's, it was Chuck's biggest WB run because it was so popular and so over. So it was crazy to say, you know, the big, huge guy who, um, you know, he's a mechanic, he's working on cars, working on motorcycles. Crazy to say that his best run in WWE was playing an ambiguously gay character with Billy Gunn as Billy and Chuck. So I think that they were probably cut off too soon. I mean, they were still hot. They were still going. And they definitely had more to give because they were still so over. And I feel like those funny little behind uh, backstage segments, uh, 
but you know behind the scenes if you will those were hilarious and i felt like they didn't almost uh capture enough of them i feel like they could have kept going felt like they cut them off too soon i feel like they were just getting super hot and then they cut it off but as uh chuck said we were surprised to find out that the wedding the gay wedding angle was actually supposed to be basically the end of the ambiguously gay group and it was just for a huge huge rating on smackdown which it ended up getting so felt like yes the ratings were good and yes that was a good angle but maybe they could have done something different with the gay wedding and you know maybe uh something i mean it was unpredictable what happened with eric bischoff and the three minute warning and everything but i felt like they could have somehow stretched it out a little bit more and kept it going with the gay you know the gay angle because it was still hot and it was still cool but uh, again just totally shocking that his best run you know, coming from being the main event, quote unquote, in WCW, then being a natural born thriller and being a guy with an infinite amount of potential. And it's funny to see that his best run came when he was Billy and Chuck. Yeah, Billy and Chuck was a great team, no doubt. And you can't deny the fact that they had a boatload of success in that post WCW, WWE, Monday Night War era, just at the beginning of it, and really kind of set the mold for how tag teams were going to be perceived as the brand split began to happen. But speaking of things that are about to happen, it is Rusted Development every Monday night at 10 p.m. Eastern on the Discovery Channel. Each episode of Rusted Development features uh, Palumbo and his, and his partner Rick Dore helping car hoarders by offering them the deal of a lifetime that they can pick any one dream car from the overcrowded collection that they have to get a custom rebuild but you know what the catch isn't just in how they do it it's how the whole entire story unfolds and that's why you're going to tune into rusted development every monday night at 10 p.m eastern on discovery and we really want to thank discovery and chuck palumbo for coming on to the two-man power trip of wrestling it was a great duo and we really appreciate working with them and also uh getting the word out about rusted development but speaking of getting the word out about a great duo why don't we talk about the two-man power trip of wrestling and meow box that's right when you enter the code power trip 10 into the checkout box on meowbox.com you're gonna get 10 percent off your first monthly box subscription by using our code power trip 10 i'll say it again power trip 10 in all capitals meowbox.com do what you got to do get over there Get your monthly box subscription. Tell them the two-man power trip of wrestling sent you. And after my partner tells you about Meowbox and Meowbox.com, he's going to give you a little bit of two-man power trip of wrestling business and throw it to Chuck Palumbo. But first, prime time, please share with the fine folks, if you will, some fine info about Meowbox. Yes, baby, Meowbox. Don't forget Meowbox has something called One Box Can, where every Meowbox purchased, you will get a can of food donated on your behalf to a shelter cat so that is great also remember all edible items are made in the usa or canada so you know where your edible items are coming from but i have a picky cat named lucy and she does not care for edible items because she has a very very picky diet so with my mailbox i replaced all the edible items with toys and surprises which lucy absolutely loves so don't forget that's meowbox.com, promo code POWERTRIP10, all capital letters, for 10% off your first subscription. Again, meowbox.com, promo code POWERTRIP10 for 10% off. Now for some TMPT business. 
Don't forget to like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Rasslin and at Two Man Power Trip. Subscribe to us on YouTube. Also, please subscribe to us on iTunes. Leave us a review. We would love to hear your feedback. Also, while you're on iTunes, check out the feed for prior great episodes with the late great Dusty Rhodes, Harley Race, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, good old J.R. Jim Ross, Sergeant Slaughter, W.V.'s Kane, and so many others. Also, check out our website, tmptofwrestling.com. That is tmptofwrestling.com. And you can check us out on the I-95 Sports Network. So put I-95 Sports Network into Google and search us out on there. You will not be sorry. We have best of episodes every Monday night at 6 p.m. Eastern. So again, check us out on the I-95 Sports Network. And also, if you would like to book former WWE superstar... Kevin Fertig, a.k.a. Kevin Thorne, a.k.a. Mordecai, please email bookings at tmptofwrestling.com. That is, please email bookings at tmptofwrestling.com. And again, that is for Kevin Fertig, a.k.a. Kevin Thorne, a.k.a. Mordecai, a.k.a. The New Face of Fear. Now, without any further ado, we send it along to one of my favorites, Back in the, the WCW days, a guy with a ton of potential when he was in WCW, and obviously uh, he uh, reached his high point in the WWE, but he is a former WCW Tag Team Champion. He's a former WWE Tag Team Champion. He was the main event. He was Custom Chucky P, and now he's on Rusted Development on the Discovery Channel. He is none other than the former natural-born thriller, Chuck Palumbo. Please enjoy. All right, well, joining us on the line tonight is a guy who's very familiar to the pro wrestling world. He's a former WWE superstar, a former WCW superstar, holding tag team championships a combined six times in both promotions, but now he's a part of a very, very, very unique Discovery reality show called Rusted Development. He's probably had one of the most unique careers post-pro wrestling, and that is Chuck Palumbo. Thank you so much for joining the two-man power trip of wrestling. Hey, thanks for having me, and uh, thanks for all the compliments, man. I appreciate it. Oh, it's our pleasure. We uh, we will get to the wrestling in just a minute, but we want to learn more about Rusted Development. Now, I believe from following, you know, like I said, you, you've had an interesting post-wrestling career, that this show has actually had a name change, and it's got to be one of the most unique concepts that I've seen for a reality show. But please, tell us all about Rusted Development. Yeah, you know, it, it's very unique. Um you know, basically what we do is we deal with people who, for lack of a better term, hoard uh, cars, uh, usually classic cars. Uh, they have an abundance of them. You know, and it's a situation where these people just end up collecting stuff and having parts and have all great intentions of, of building these cars, you know, these hot rod enthusiasts uh, and what have you. But, um, you know, uh, they get sidetracked. So we come in, uh, my partner and I, and what we do is we – try to build them the dream car that they've been trying to build their whole life. But in order to do that, what we have to do is we have to fund the bill. And to fund that bill, we have to sell off a lot of the other stuff they have, a lot of the other cars they have, use that money from sales 
to pay my guys in my shop, pay myself, my partner, and get these guys the dream car that they deserve, you know? So it's, it's been a fun, fun, fun adventure so far. We're in our second season, and, uh, yeah, it's been a blast, man. And, you know, I get to do what I do, uh, build motorcycles and build cars. So, I mean, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's just uh, tailor-made for me, you know? Yeah, no, that's awesome, and I'm sure just like it is with any kind of collector or collection, you got to have some quirky people come down your way uh, as you go through. And have you dealt with anybody that's uh, definitely been a little bit out there and you really have to uh, work a little bit harder to get them on board with uh, moving some of the parts? Absolutely, absolutely. You know, you, you know, you put myself in their position. If you think about it, if I came knocking on your door and you had no idea who I was or what I was about, and I told you I was going to build your dream car and clean up your life, and clean up your hoard and all this good stuff, sell off all the stuff for you, you're not going to believe it, you know, because I wouldn't believe it if somebody approached me that way, you know. So we have to, number one, gain their trust. Now, obviously, season two has been a little easier because they, they were able to catch season one on television. They understand that we really are doing this for people. They see the quality of our work. And they're like, okay, these guys are for real. These guys are legit. So the trust is starting to build up. But now it's more or less trying to, you know, uh, you know, just, just, just convince these people that it's okay. We're not trying to steal or take from you. We're trying to help you, you know? Yeah, totally. And it is. Uh, Rusted Development on the Discovery Channel, Mondays at 10 p.m. Now, tell us about the Slam Garage, and tell us what goes on behind the doors of the garage, and can, uh, you know, just your regular average, uh, you know, oh, I'm a car fan, oh, I'm a car collector, can they, uh, can they handle what goes on behind those doors? Well, you know, I, you know, number one, we're always under a time frame. The longer we take on a bill, the less of a chance we have of finishing the car on time, obviously, getting paid for the project. And most of all, we've got these people convinced for a moment, so we got to do it quick before they change their mind. So, yeah, there's always a time pressure. And Rick and myself, we are fanatics in what we do with the cars, so it's not easy to work for us, man. It's really not. We, we demand the best. We demand the highest quality of work, and we demand it to be done in the quickest time frame possible. And we're not a typical TV show where you have guys coming in when the cameras go out helping us with these cars. We have a crew of no more than eight guys, and we build all the cars. So, you know, it's not easy to, to, to be in the shop uh, working for us, for any, you know, by any means. Has there been a specific car that has been your favorite, you know, your favorite horde, if you will? Uh, yeah, you know, i got to say, um, there's the number one car... Um, you, you haven't seen yet. The people who are watching, they have not seen it yet. That'll be in episode six of this season, season two of the show. But uh, last Monday, uh, in episode three of season two, uh, we built a 1937 Dodge pickup, which was, uh, you know, just incredible. It was a frame-up. I'm not sure if you guys got to catch it, but um, I hope the people uh, you know, that are listening today had a chance to catch it. If not, if they could take a look. It came out beautiful. It was for, you know, it was for a very important guy, a guy who had lost his son and his dad, who he had shared his uh, likings for cars with. So this is, uh, it, it was special both in the aspect that, hey, you know, we helped somebody who we truly thought deserved it, uh, but at the same time, it was a beautiful truck. It was a rare truck and not something you see uh, every day. So very fulfilling. 
that is absolutely great. And if I could move along a little bit to, you know, why you're famous, quote unquote, or, you know, how you basically, uh, you know, got famous and that is through the wrestling business. And, you know, you, you were on the independent scene a little bit and then you make your way to world championship wrestling. You make your way to the power plant. You trained a little bit under Paul Orndorff, but what was it like when you debuted, you know, on the, on the main screen on TV, I believe it was on thunder against Scotty Steiner and basically, you know, a huge star like that. What was it like to debut like it, it, it was it was great. Um, for a little, little quick story, I don't want to waste you guys' time, but I had met Scotty Steiner in a Gold's Gym outside of Atlanta in Marietta. Uh, there was an old Gold's Gym out there, and I met Scotty in that gym when I was training uh, at the power plant. Well, I was getting ready. I think I had just gotten down to Atlanta. I, I had finished my initial tryout. I had gone back to California. I had scrapped together any money I had, sold everything I had, and drove across country to go to this wrestling camp. And I was in the camp. I couldn't afford to pay for a gym membership. And I had to see Scott in that gym one day. And he ended up talking to the owner at the time and said, hey, let this kid train here while he's training to, to, to go to wrestling school. And that's how we met. And we became close friends. He's one of my best friends today. Um, but it was funny because six, seven, eight, maybe it was nine months later, I meet up with him again. And it's on Thunder. He's making his comeback. He had just, you know, had uh, back surgery prior to that. I had been, I had been friends with Jeff Jerry. I had met him uh, maybe a month earlier. He had introduced me to Scott and said, hey, listen, Scott, this is the kid you're working tonight. And, uh, you know, Scott was super cool with me. And he said, hey, man, you know, I'm coming back. And obviously I'm going over and i got to get my stuff in. But he said, hey, listen, what do you do? What do you like to do out there? And we'll get it in. And that's what we did. And we have been uh, best friends ever since. Wow, and there's no way you would waste their time at all on any story involving yourself or the one and only Scott Steiner. So, uh. Oh, you know, I tell you, man, a lot of people, uh, you see Scott on the outside and, you know, you think he's, he's you know, he's this uh, rough and tough and, and hard-nosed guy. Let me tell you something, greatest guy that I've met in the business. Uh, and if you really know who he is and what he's about, guys, he's a first-class act. I know a lot of times what you see on the outside and what you hear about <laughs> Maybe different, but he's a family man, great guy. I have, uh, uh, you know, I have nothing but great things to say about him. It's funny. Another guy that a lot of people say that about, and you know, they could be dead wrong on, is uh, the, the next guy you kind of ended up feuding with, and that was Lex Luger. When you became, you know, the main event, Chuck Palumbo. A lot of people say, you know, Luger. Um, you, you know, same same thing that they would say about Steiner. They don't really know him, but what was your experience like feuding with Lex Luger? And, you know, that you know, time, funny. Given, given that chance. That, that's a great question, too. You know, Lex, uh, he was a little different. He was a bit, when I first met him, you know, here's a time, you remember, you got a lot of veterans in the WCW, and here come this group of, like, eight or nine guys out of the power plant who they're ready to push. And we're all green and have no experience, and they're trying to push us. So we're learning on TV as we go along. You know what I mean? These guys were, were already there, and they're, you know, the wrestling business is crazy. You got to remember, when you get guys that are coming in, people start to worry about their spots, you know? So guys get on edge. Anyway, I meet Luger. I found out right away I'm, I'm, I'm uh, shooting with him. And, you know, he, at first, you know, he had his nose up in the air and he was kind of a prick. And, you know, if I saw him today, I'd tell him the same thing. Hey, man, you were a prick. Because he was a prick at times. But as soon as I got to know him, I remember at times he said, Hey, Plumbo, I know you guys aren't making that much money right now. I got a car. If you want to drive, you know, and, and he was—he ended up being cool like that. But uh, in the beginning, it was tough. 
Um, but that didn't last long. As soon as he got to know me, he, uh, he was cool. Um, it was a great time because during that time, you got to remember, um, Elizabeth was, was, was also in the picture, you know. And uh, I got to work that angle a little bit with him and Elizabeth. So, you know, that was a big deal for a guy coming in. I had hardly any experience. I, was, I had worked in Japan for, you know, a short period of time. And, boom, next thing you know, I'm working in a feud with a guy who had been on top for a long time. So, either way, even if he was a dick the complete time, I would have been fine with it because it was just the opportunity and the position I was put in at such an early, early age in my career, you know. So, all good, man. Yeah, definitely. Quite the experience because, like you said, a lot of the guys were getting pushed all at once, and that was the natural-born thrillers. And, you know, you had uh, Stasiak, you had O'Hare, you had Sanders, you had, and Jindrak, of course, too. I mean, you guys had so much talent there and so much uh, potential with you guys. But what was it like with the natural-born thrillers coming up, you know, all of this, you know, busting at the team in WCW at that time? Oh uh, Well, number one, I, I got to say, and I know all those guys in the thrillers uh, will say the same thing. It was probably some of the best times ever in the wrestling business for us. Number one, we had fun. We're traveling around the country. We're working with these guys who have been over for a while. That part was awesome. Uh, we're all young, you know what I mean? We're new to TV, so we're just on fire. At the same time, like I had mentioned before, as far as the veterans go, here come these young guys with no experience other than the power plant, maybe a little bit of indie, a little bit of Japan, whatever, and we're coming in and getting pushes. So for guys who were mid-card in WCW who had really never had the opportunity to get pushed up higher or for guys who just never made it higher, here we come, and it can be tough. You know, you got, you got, you got some struggles in there like anything else, uh, you know, the locker room and stuff like that. Um, but, you know, all in all, I think we ended up doing okay. I mean, you got your Dean Malenko's and guys like that who are, you know, oh, these guys don't belong here. And, hey, man, you know, we didn't ask to be here. We worked hard in the power plant, and they put us here. So we're going to take what we can get and run with it, you know? Definitely seemed like a conscious effort on the part of WCW to start pushing some of the younger guys because that was an issue for them for years that they had so much good young talent, but they wouldn't push it, you know, in favor of pushing a lot of the old guys. So it was great to see yeah. the thrillers. And a lot of you guys get those pushes. Yeah, you know, it, it, it's, it's too bad. I think it was too little too late with the company because it was it was just at that time where WCW was kind of on the downfall. Um, if they had done it earlier, I think maybe it would have been better for business. But, you know, hey, hats off to Vince Russo and uh, Eric Bischoff at that time for, for giving us that opportunity. It was really Vince and Eric who, who decided to, to do that, you know, and which was uh, which was all right, you know. Definitely. What was it like working with, you know, obviously Eric Bischoff's name is all over the place now because he kind of made his way back onto the WWE Network with a lot of different specials and everything, talking about, you know, you know the good old days of WCW. But what was it like yeah. working for EGE? Uh, what was it like working for Eric Bischoff? Yeah. Yeah, you know, it was um, – I enjoyed it. I think Eric's just got a great mind for the business. I think he has a great mind for television in general. So – uh, I enjoyed it. He was always great to me, uh, and I had a good time. I mean, you hear stuff from other guys who didn't like him and other guys who did, but for me personally, I enjoyed it. He gave me opportunities, and that's all I can ask for, you know? Absolutely. Now, obviously, we you know we um, kind of touched on a little bit with the, you know, the end of WCW. Maybe it was too little too late, but were you surprised with the end of WCW and with WWE acquiring them? You know, it's funny. Um, 
I was fortunate enough to work on the last Nitro over down in Panama City, I believe it was. And, you know, honestly, we had heard rumors, but no one really got the facts until that night when Shane McMahon walked in the locker room and introduced himself and kind of gave us a rundown of what was going on. Uh, you know, found out Briscoe was in the gorilla position, and uh, we knew things were changing. But we really didn't know what was happening. We knew we were being acquired at that point, but really had no idea what was going to happen. I don't think anybody, including Vince McMahon, really knew ultimately what his plan was. Uh, but that was a, that was that was big in the history of uh, wrestling, and I was just that was kind of cool to be a part of that. You know, absolutely. It could be uh, one of the biggest armchair quarterback wrestling moments of, uh, you know, basically all time where what should they have done with the acquisition of WCW? But obviously as somebody coming in and being a talent that, you know, was brought on to the WWF, you know, side of business, uh, did you have that feeling right out of the gate that they weren't going to do much after the initial uh, bring-in? And, you know, was that something that was a little frustrating all the WCW guys? You know, uh, looking back now, yeah, I guess it, it was probably frustrating. But at the time, I had only been in the business maybe three years, so I was so naive. I was just going, hey, man, I can't wait till I get to WWF, and this is going to be great. You know what I mean? Because I figured it was legit. I figured we're coming over, and they're going to do something with the talent. Um, I just kept busy. I, I kept working in Mexico. I, I would call JR and check in with him once a week, say, hey, JR, I'm going to go work in Mexico City or where, where, where have you. And, and uh, he said, yeah, no problem. Go ahead. Go for it, man. And it was all good. If I did an indie shot in the States, I'd call him and tell him I was doing that. But because um, I thought I was just waiting to get picked up over there, you know. Uh, but, and again, for me personally, I, I guess it was okay. You know, I, I did get to come over right away and do something. For a lot of the other guys, uh they didn't get the opportunity. So, you know, I'm sure they have a different opinion, you know? Right, yeah, and I and I gotta say, you you actually, you know, from the alliance and the invasion led to, you know, maybe what the uh, the fan base might remember you most for, and that is what led to Billy and Chuck, that you were paired up with Billy Gunn, who was a long-standing WWF veteran at that time. And uh, I got to say, you know, we're, we're going to go there because we have to ask. It's uh, a moment that at this point has become quite legendary, and that is the infamous wedding angle teaming with Billy yeah. Gunn on SmackDown with Eric Bischoff, the uh, formerly mentioned Eric Bischoff. What was it like teaming with Billy Gunn, and was that always the end game from the start of the angle? Yeah, you know something? Who thought that, well, I never thought personally that I would be remembered in wrestling. My mark in wrestling would have been made as being uh, part of an ambiguously gay duo. But <laughs> I got to tell you, man, and I, what, you know, I, I, I think, hey, you know, whatever. I made my best money that I ever made in the industry when that angle was going on, number one. Number two, I had the most fun I ever had, aside from my early days in WCW, I had my most fun in WWF slash WWE while I did that character, and it was the easiest thing to do. You know, as long as you, you know, a lot of guys take that wrestling business too personal. We call it, you know, sometimes living the gimmick or believing in the gimmick or, you know, believing the hype of the gimmick. You can't get that serious about it. You know what I mean? It's a job. You're pretty much a type. You know, I'm not saying we're great actors, but, 
you're basically acting a part. You got to have fun with it. You know what I mean? And, and and that's what I tried to do. I tried to embrace it and have fun with it. And you know, I'm working with Billy Gunn, who's you know had an incredible career up until that point. Uh, great worker, great veteran. I learned so much from him. But to answer that question, yes, that gimmick was booked out to finish around number one ratings week, which was number two the wedding. You know what I mean? They were trying to right. Vince wanted he wanted a big number during ratings week. Cable network ratings week. And we did it. We knocked him out. We we're number one. And that's where yeah. ultimately that's that's how he timed it and that's what happened. And uh I knew that going into it and I said, Hey listen, this is what this guy wants and he's paying me to do it. Let's give him the best Billy and Chuck that we can give him, you know? No, that's great. And you had a WrestleMania, and you guys had a, a run with the tag title. So, you know, definitely, uh, you know, if you look at it on paper, a huge success. But just that night on SmackDown will always be remembered, the Eric Bischoff role in the whole thing, and then, uh, you know, feuding with Three Minute Warning afterwards. Just something that, looking back at the time, I think everybody was like, wow, this is a little out there. But looking back, it's one of the best moments of that post you know, Monday Night War era, and uh, yeah. of course, I always remember Chuck Palumbo being a part of it. Now, let's get through your, the rest of your WWE time. Uh, you know, you repackaged a few different times. Uh, most recently, your last run there, where you did have, you know, more of the biker gimmick, you know, like, uh, you know, you know, we've heard your your good friends with The Undertaker, but having the biker gimmick being so closely associated to something that you have a passion for, did that make it easy to go to work every week where you actually could really enjoy being yourself on television? Um, you know, that's that's a good question. Yes and no. In the beginning, yes. I mean, they gave me a little push with the biker gimmick. I mean, I had been into the car and motorcycle thing since I was a kid. I was kind of born into it. So it was nice to be able to do a little bit of that and kind of show the wrestling fans a little bit of what I really was outside of wrestling. But the problem with that whole deal was it never really happened properly. And, you know, right away... I got thrown into an angle where, you know, I was, uh, the character was getting aggressive with women with that, that whole angle with, uh, uh, can't even remember his name. Um, Noble and then, uh, McCool and that whole thing. I just felt like it just, it was distasteful, uh, especially for, uh, you know, the younger, uh, the younger generation of wrestling fans. You don't want to, you know, you don't want kids turning on the TV and seeing a, a six foot five, 300 pound biker, you know, throwing back elbows at chicks. You know what I mean? It's not, it's not good. You know what I mean? So, it's just not. So I, I wish they they could have did something a little differently. But you know, hey, it's the business. They paid me, and I did what they asked me to do. You know. And as we start to wind it down here, obviously you mentioned you had uh, some time, obviously in Japan. You had some time in WCW, and you had some time in the, the WWE. But do you have a favorite match, or maybe matches that you've had throughout your career? You know, I, I, I really don't. You know, people ask me that um, pretty often. And I, I surprisingly, to my even to myself, I really don't have a any special match. Uh, you know, there's some memories. Uh, Billy and I, Billy Gunn and I had a tag match uh, at the new uh, Boston Garden against uh, Hogan and Edge. Uh, you know, to be able to work in the same ring as Hulk Hogan, who, you know, no matter what's going on in his personal life now, the guy is a legend in the industry. So, um that was big for me, I guess, in a way, to be in the ring with him. Um, 
other than that, really, you know, it was more about just some of the, knowing some of the guys. You know, it was more about like you know having mentors like like the Kurt Hennings, who was who was a great guy, and, and the Scott Steiners and, and the Rick Steiners, and, and and the stuff like that. And to be able to be a part of WCW, who I think at their peak was the greatest wrestling company of all time. You know, and um, so it was kind of cool to be a part of WCW, be a part of WWF before it became WWE, and then be a part of WWE. You know, so. I think it was just being able to get a taste of everything in the industry in a relatively short period of time and come out healthy. I think that was uh, that was all right, you know. Definitely, and and uh, I've said it before, you know, on the show, and I totally agree with you. WCW at its finest is my, you know, by far my favorite. I think they topped WWE, you know, when they were at their best. But uh, oh yeah. But back to you. Do you have a favorite opponent? I know you mentioned a couple of great guys there, but is there a guy that really sticks out that you jailed with really, really well? You know, I, I really, honestly, I really don't. And I've, I've, I've had that question asked before, too. Um, you know, I enjoyed working with uh, Little Ray Mysterio. Uh, he was super easy to work with. Um, I enjoyed working with Undertaker. He was super easy to work with. Um, I don't know. You know, that's I, I enjoy actually just working tags with, uh, as, a, as a partner with Billy Gunn. He taught me a lot with tags, man. It was great. I You know, I, I will say, Eddie Grill, I had a blast working with Eddie. In tags, he's a great guy, good friend of mine, uh, in and outside the ring. Um, you know, I, I apologize if I, if I miss any, but um, yeah, no one really in particular. Just a few guys that I had fun with. You know how it is. Well, you guys aren't wrestlers, but you probably hear from other wrestlers. Some guys are just tough to work with, you know. And I'm sure some guys might say that about me, but um, you know, you get that handful of guys that are really easy to work with. And I think that's more what it's about uh, for me. Guys that just made it. Easy. You didn't feel like you were fighting every night, you know? Absolutely. Definitely. And, you know, you mentioned The Undertaker right there, and I was always curious because, I've, you know, you always read rumors and stuff that you guys are really close and really good friends. What is yeah. the relationship like with The Undertaker? Is it because of the bikes? You know, like you guys are both, you know, love bikes and love old cars and stuff, or what really, uh, you know, what's behind that friendship? Actually, I think it was just respect. That's about it. I just, uh, he was one of the guys that uh, when I came in, I would, you know, I would talk to a little bit and uh, I felt like he gave me straight advice for the most part. Um, and as time went on uh, in, 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 you know, WWE, I think he was just one of the guys who I respected as a locker room leader. And uh, I think we just, we just got along good. Yeah, maybe we had some stuff in common and we did get the opportunity to work together. Well, I did get the opportunity to work with him you know, a, a lot, you know, especially during the, uh, my FBI days. So uh, I think we just became friends, you know, and that was it. And uh, nothing more than that, you know. Absolutely. And I, I you know, remember uh, you guys working a few times, obviously, in the FBI when you were with Full Blooded Italian with uh, Nunzio and Stamboli. And, uh, you know, obviously, Stamboli, you knew from WCW and you worked some time in uh, All Japan Pro Wrestling with as well. But one guy that we didn't mention is very curious of, but um, obviously he's not really remembered that greatly now, but he was a great wrestler then, and that's uh, Chris Benoit. What are your thoughts on, you know, working with Benoit? Because, you know, had everything not happened, he would have probably went down as well. Yeah. yeah, it's a good question. You know, okay, let's go prior to that incident. I always liked Chris. He was all, actually, he's another guy. He was always real good to me. Got to work with him a lot, too, actually. Uh, I always felt like he was uh, a big supporter of mine when I, you know, as I tried to move along and, and climb my way up in the industry. Um, 
uh, you know, solid worker, loved the business. At the time, I was saying prior to this last incident here, this guy, if you told me he was capable of any of that stuff, it would have been hard to believe because the way he loved his wife and child, I mean, I'm sure you've heard it from other guys. This guy would bring his kid to shows when we're, when, you know, when he was close to home, and you know, little Daniel, he had his little uh, carry bag, you know, that the wrestlers have. He had his gear, you know, it was just, it was cute, it was awesome, it was just, he was a great dad. So, I don't know what happened with him, man, but up until that point, you know, uh, you know, I don't know. The wrestling business is tough. Totally. And one thing that's not tough is that every Monday night at 10 p.m. on Discovery, the fans of the two-man power trip of wrestling will go and support Rusted Development and Chuck Palumbo. Now, before you go, the one thing we usually ask at the end is the legacy on the wrestling business, but I'd rather ask it this way, and that is in the show you restore a car that was very close to you. is your father's 1965 Corvette. Tell us what it means to you, and is that the legacy of Chuck Palumbo when restoring that car in your father's honor? It was the first car I had ever been in. I, I'm pretty sure that they took me home from the hospital in that car. Um, so it was just special to me. My dad held on to it, and then uh, I had the opportunity to uh, resurrect it. So, uh, yeah, it's my favorite episode of the season. It's dear to my heart. I feel like it's giving back to my dad. And um, also, something that's super important about that is that I was actually able car with my 18-year-old daughter. And, you know, when you get the opportunity to work with your child on a project like that, especially a project like that where it's close to your heart, it's just a special time. And it's documented. So, you know, down the line when I have grandchildren or what have you, you know, we can go back and look at that and say, hey, listen, there's Charlie and her dad when she was 18 and they did this car for Charlie's grandfather, Chuck's dad. And it's just a special moment. And uh, I always have that uh, memory, and I actually always have it on film. So it's, uh, I feel like it was a nice opportunity to, uh, to spend that quality time with my daughter doing something special, you know, and being able to share that moment with the world. So uh, that, was, that was pretty nice, you know. That's, uh, that's beautiful, and we really appreciate you sharing that. And please just tell the, uh, tell the listeners of the show where they can find Chuck Palumbo if they, uh, they want to seek you out. Yeah, no, no, I appreciate it. Uh, well, first of all, I have a website, chuckpalumbo.com, and pretty much that's where my home base is. My Instagram is also Chuck Palumbo. There's a Facebook page, Chuck Palumbo, and there's a Twitter, Chuck Palumbo, and they're all based off that chuckpalumbo.com website. And also on discovery.com, you can check out my show, Rusted Development. Now, the, the cool thing about Rusted Development, it actually airs in over 220 markets around the world, all these different countries. Most of them, the show title is called Extreme Car Hoarders, just because it makes an easier translation in the language barrier. But in the United States, it's Rusted Development. So not to confuse anybody, Rusted Development in the United States, Extreme Car Hoarders everywhere else in the world, and it's on Discovery Channel. If you go to discovery.com, you can check it out, check out the episodes, see last season, see what's coming up this season. It's always on Monday night right after Fast and Loud. Nice. The only show on Monday night that you should be watching if you're a wrestling fan. There you go. There you go. Did Vince McMahon hear that? Yeah, exactly. Well, thanks so much, Chuck. This has been a lot of fun. Really uh, appreciate you taking the time. Good luck with the show, and thanks for chatting about uh, your wrestling career. All right, guys. I appreciate you taking it. Look how far it goes over there. There's miles 
and miles of stuff out here. It's unbelievable. It's crazy that somebody could drag this much stuff out here. It's getting bigger. It's getting bigger, and it's still getting bigger. There's just so much. There's a horde within a horde within a horde. Wow. Never ends. All the way around. You know, when we started this business, I always had this fantasy about, you know, finding that dream horde, that huge, larger-than-life horde. And we're here in it now. But it's not the feeling that I thought it was going to be. I thought it was going to be a feeling of, you know, overjoy and excitement. But, I, you know, I feel a sense of uneasiness come over me as I walk around. I don't know, man. This is unbelievable. What do you do with all this stuff? How do you, I mean, where does it, where does it begin?